Dr. Jen Welter is a trailblazer. She's been shattering expectations, knocking down barriers her whole life, including one of sports' ultimate barriers, when Jen became the first female coach in the history of the National Football League with the Arizona Cardinals in 2015. The biggest question that people had was, would the guys in the NFL take coaching from a woman? And, you know, what's hard about being the first, and I tell people all the time, like, people say that they celebrate trailblazers, but all trailblazer to me, first of all, means that you take all the branches to the face, right? Like, you're like, oh, oh, that, that hurt right there. Here, wait, let me, let me chop that down. And then the next person's like, oh, what a pretty trail, right? Like, trailblazer is tough. And it also means you are a disruptor by nature. And that means that people aren't neutral about you. They're either going to love you for what you represent and what you're doing and the idea of you, or they're going to hate you for the exact same reasons. And you have no control over either. All you can do is do the job. Jen Welter has done many jobs and earned many titles. A BA from Boston College, she earned a doctorate in psychology and a master's in sports psychology. She played 14 years of women's pro football and won two gold medals with Team USA in the International Federation of American Football. She also pioneered as a running back in a men's pro league with the Texas Revolution. Jen has inspired thousands of girls to take on flag football with her Gridiron Girls program. She wrote a book on how to live a limitless life. So we talked about pursuing or nurturing big dreams and not letting anyone crush them. There are a bunch of lessons and laughs and stories in this episode. I met Jen as a guest on her podcast and really had a great time when she returned the favor. So Dr. Jen Welter, you know a lot about a lot of different things. You have lived an interesting, sometimes crazy life. You've had a lot of experiences. We could go a million different directions with this. So I'm looking forward to it. Your book, Play Big, talks about living a limitless life. Your experiences have sort of defined that. But what do you think the best definition of being limitless is when you try to map out what the possibilities are for people? You know, it's funny. I think sometimes we limit ourselves. And I know that I have at times. Um, and I and I think we limit ourselves by what is possible because of what's been done. So the traditional model of goal setting, and I've taught it, I'm well-versed in it, says you start with a big dream and you work your way backwards so that you can get up to this dream. And then it's like, ooh, I did it. And then really what happens is we all go, okay, now what do I do, right? And yet I never had that ability because a lot of the stuff that I've done was so ridiculous that it, I couldn't set a goal to it. So how do you get there? And I lovingly tell people at times, I think God keeps blinders. And I don't say just keep, cause I got a lot of work still to do, keeps blinders on my life. So I keep my head down and humble and doing work and focused. Um, because if I would have looked up, I might've gotten blinded by the stadium lights, right? Like by the bright, this, and we see it happen for people all the time, right? They have this big goal or they get this big moment. And then it's like, Ooh, I made it. So for me, it's been about how could I prepare myself to step up to every challenge 
that the game put in my way, right? And that means you have to do work so that things that you never even imagined, you're like, all right, what do we need to do? And that's a lot of the philosophy I take. And so it's, it's, it's like, there's always something else to do. And you know this because you've taken on so many challenges. What I love about you is like, when you get there, you're like, okay, so this is the thing, right? Like even my book, okay, like you made history, like, woohoo. And then people think, oh, it's a book. And then my, my original proposal, which still hope, hopefully one day will happen, got turned down by every publisher because they said, well, women in football doesn't sell. And I'm like, pretty sure I was the first. So how many times have you tried to sell a book about women in football, right? And they're like, well, never. That's why we know it doesn't work. And I'm like, or <laughs> it'll be different and work really well. And they're like, yeah, but you don't, you don't quite hit those social numbers yet that we can predict that whatever you put out will sell. So it can't just be football. And eventually Play Big was picked up by a publisher, um, but they made us retool the entire proposal mm. so that it was a motivational take on my story because they said, well, football might not sell, but we like you and we know that you speak. So if you could do it in that way, we think it'll sell. And I just kind of was like, so I think the higher you climb, the more challenges you see. And that's why we don't want to limit ourselves by what we set as like, ooh, honey, I've made it. Because so many people get to that point and they go, I made it, but it wasn't what I wanted. I made right. it out to be something it wasn't. And then they feel lost. And I'm, I'm always lost. So it's not like a goal makes me feel like I don't have a future. Nothing wrong with being lost because that means you're still seeking. The... You said the game, the obstacles that the game puts in front of you. The game could mean life, but the game we're talking about is football. So you have played football in girls' leagues, in men's leagues, full contact. You have coached football at the highest level. You have organized and motivated and inspired thousands of young girls to take up football. What gave you the idea that any of this would be possible? What gave you the audacity, Jen, when you're a young girl to think, Football is going to be my path. Even though there's no examples of anyone doing this as a female, I'm going to barge my way through. How many times were you told, no, you're insane, impossible? Well, if I'm not insane on a day-to-day -day basis, no, I don't think I'm doing <laughs> enough. So they, they often say there's that fine line between brilliance and insanity. And I think I am that line, right? And some days I'm a little bit more insane and some days I'm a little bit more brilliant. And some days my <laughs> everything is on the line. I don't know what's gonna happen. Um, and some days I just say, stop lying, right? Like maybe the line is lie. But um, as a young girl, I wasn't taught to see boy or girl, right? Like, you know, my dad is a Vietnam veteran and so he was like, you know, he used to tell me all the time, like, if you're going to be dumb, you better be tough. Meaning you get yourself into it. You better handle it. And so it wasn't really like a boy thing or a girl thing. It was a mentality thing. Right. Like and that that saying that my dad gave me of if you're going to be dumb, you better be tough has made me really freaking tough because I have been really dumb at times in terms of like you know, that's not possible. I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know. All right. Like maybe, you know, uh, blissfully ignorant would, would describe me at times. Right. But it's because of that, that I've gone in 
to some of these situations. And it's been like that throughout my life. Like if people would tell you, they'd be like, was she always this person? They'd be like, like little kid, I told you, we, we went fishing, right? This was our thing. There was not a pink pole and a blue pole where only the big fish would bite the blue pole, right? You want the biggest fish and you better catch them or else nobody's eaten. And they're gonna look at you crazy and maybe push you off the dock, right? Cause you lost dinner. So I grew up with all the boys and, and fishing and stuff. And I had a little boat that was mine. I just want you to know, he said it was mine. It was my responsibility. Um, and it wasn't small, but it was, you know, we were towing it back behind um, a bigger boat because that was my dad's thing. He was a fisherman. So we used to charter it out. I mean, it's a big boat. We're running back from the Bahamas in a hurricane, okay, to get away from a hurricane. So the seas are huge. It's eight to 10 foot seas. And my boat, which was being towed behind, breaks loose. Well, that's my boat. And it's my responsibility. And I don't think twice, I jump in the ocean and I swim to my boat and I get on it. And of course, my dad, who has GPS and is up in the tower driving, slams the thing in autopilot. Nancy, you got to take the wheel. And then he jumps in after me and swims also to the boat and gets up. And he was like, Jenny, what in the F was that? And I was like, dad it's my boat and and i go if you're gonna be dumb you better be tough and he was like did you get that from me and i was like yeah i did <laughs> but i mean it was my responsibility it's my boat you always said i had to take care of it so that was a logical extension um of what i was taught and that that same mentality has been you know kind of consistent now as a girl though i didn't say i'm gonna like disrupt football I saw a game that was magical, right? And, you know, kids, our minds tell stories. I think kids are one of the most powerful things in the world because we're not yet spoiled. Adults, we get spoiled. Oh, you can't do this. Oh, you can't fail. Oh, people are going to make fun of you. Like kids, it's like, wow, I'm watching real life superheroes out on the field. Like they look just like superheroes and I want to be one. That's all I thought. And it was that sport that I wanted to be a superhero too. that somebody said, oh, well, girls don't do that. Mm -hmm. And I remember being like, what? It just didn't make sense. But there was no example. There was no place to play. So it wasn't like I pined on it or I plotted away like Dr. Evil, I'm going to disrupt football. It was like, ugh. But like always kind of had this like crush on football in the back of my head. Um, and, and so it never went away. And then Everybody when I played went football college, since I think in the 20s, they actually played, uh, but it was kind of a halftime show in the NFL. Then there were other leagues and it wasn't uh, considered intense. It wasn't considered impetitive. It was considered kind of a sideshow, right? So right. the idea you that you would be on a competitive football and, team. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but I mean, I would have played, I would have played on the team, meaning I would have played like high school football because high school football was the coolest thing in our town. Right. Like the whole town of Vero Beach, Florida would shut down on Friday nights and everyone would go play. And these were the coolest people in town. So why would I not do that? Right. It just why wouldn't I? And so when I went to college, I found rugby and it was like, ooh, 
they tackle, these girls tackle. And I was like, oh, I'm in, right? And played all four years in Boston College, got recruited for the under 23 nat- national team, at which time they realized that I was five foot two um, and I did not make the national team. They probably still regret that. Like, I'd like to go back to them and be like, did you miss something? Maybe. <laughs> um, but, and then, you know, after that, I started playing flag football on weekends and I got recruited from that flag football league to go play tackle and to go try out at, you know, 21, 22 years old. I'm glad you said you're five foot two because among the barriers to playing football with full size guys, gender isn't the only one. I mean, there's not a lot of five foot two males that would be crazy enough to try that anyway. They would be told the same thing maybe you were, maybe in a different way. Uh, but there are very few examples of someone that size competing against much larger people. You're carrying the football. You're, you're, you're a running back eventually in a men's football league tackle at, at five two. Yeah. He's a little oh, crazy. Yeah. Crazy is is now like I should probably have that tattoo, right? Like maybe the C, because my middle name is Carrie. Maybe the C is actually for crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean it it it's not something that you see often. And um I actually have people I've known for years who will have this moment, right? Where they look at me and they're like, Jen, you're you're short. <laughs> yes why yes I am and they're like yeah but you don't act short and I'm like how does one act short right like well but, you, uh, have a, you have a you have a, a full-size energy field let's say that when you we, I, I've I've seen you in action I've seen plenty of videos and and uh, there's no doubt that your your energy is is full size I mean uh, eventually part of this trailblazing thing Bruce Arians gives you a shot now you're with the Arizona Cardinals and you're working with the linebackers and it's preseason and you're five foot two and you're female and you don't look like anybody that's ever coached them in their lives. And they're at the highest level and they're making a living. They're feeding their families doing this. So, okay, you get the gig. That, that's a big part of it. But what, what made you think that was going to work and they were going to accept you when, when you walked into that situation? You know, um, First of all, the credit to the guys, they knew everything about me before I walked in the door. Okay, so you guys like to say that women talk? No, 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 <laughs> nothing like guys, nothing, no level of like. Oh, come on. Guys are as bad as women at that, you think? I mean, you know they're going to do their homework. Wait a minute, they're, they're, here comes a female coach. You don't think those guys are going to run to Google they, and figure something out? Oh no, they knew much more than Google. <laughs> oh no, Google had nothing on what they knew. They had they had watched my game film. They had talked to guys that I played with, guys that were in Dallas. Like they knew everything about me before I walked in. Did the that door. bother you or scare you that they knew that much about you when you walked in? No, it meant they were interested. Um actually like when guys were like, man, coach, we've seen your game field. Like you were a beast off the edge. I knew we'd be fine because the game doesn't lie. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we say as coaches, like the eye in the sky doesn't lie. That doesn't lie. And those guys were really excited to be a part of history. 
Like they would say it all the time. They're like, yo, coach, can I get that walk on in the movie? Like when they do this, you better not forget where you came from. Like we were the ones who were there. Like I want the walk on. And they're like, do I need to have my agent talk to you about getting that done? And I'm like, probably, I don't know how to get that done. Right. But like, they were really proud to be a part of history. And as guys who had overcome a lot of obstacles in and of their own lives and, you know, defied where they came from or, you know, being underestimated or all those things, we had a lot in common. And they're like, coach, we know how hard it was for us to get here, but you no, that's special. Right. And so that's a great point that I don't think people think about. You were defying odds enormous odds to make it to the NFL, even to make it to a camp. And and many of them have had the toughest possible backgrounds, obstacles and challenges thrown in their way. Had they fallen at one hurdle, right, Jen, they don't get where they're going. And that's a great point. So they could, in some ways, I mean, different circumstances, but in some ways relate to fighting against all that to get where they you related were to me um, a lot better than someone who came in another way, right? They're like, man... I never thought that this was even possible. So they were very excited. And, you know, I think it was interesting because the biggest question that people had was, would the guys of the NFL take coaching from a woman? And, you know, what's hard about being the first, and I tell people all the time, like people say that they celebrate trailblazers, but all trailblazer to me, first of all, means that you take all the branches to the face. Right. Like you're like, oh, oh, that that hurt right there. Here, wait, let me let me chop that down. And then the next person's like, oh, what a pretty trail. Right. Like trailblazer (laughs) is tough. And it also means you are a disruptor by nature. So if somebody was set up perfectly and comfortable like a like in a hammock chilling by the beach in the status quo, then I am their worst nightmare. However, you know, and that means that people aren't neutral about you. They're either going to love you for what you represent and what you're doing and the idea of you, or they're going to hate you for the exact same reasons. And you have no control over either. All you can do is do the job, right? All you can do is hopefully not screw up so bad that they have a reason to close the door for everyone else who comes after you. So it's hard because the entire narrative at that time of women coaching in professional football rested squarely on my shoulders, right? The questions weren't, could Jen do it? Like, would she be okay? Or knowing different things about me, it was, could a woman? And the sample size, the sample size just happened to be one. Mm-hmm. So the conversations were tough, right? Oh, would the guys listen? These are the most rough and tumble guys in the face of the planet. Well, first of all, most of the guys have been coached by women their whole lives, maybe just not in football. And so the beauty is that actually, you know, some guys receive coaching in those situations, especially some that are so competitive and there is an inherent uh, competition even between, you know, players and coaches, especially if coaches used to play, that it's actually refreshing to hear that from another person. And I played the game, right? The big push back that you often hear is like, oh, well, he never played. And so how can he coach? Well, we obviously know there are coaches like Bill Belichick who can coach. They don't have to have played, right? 
But it was funny because some people would be like, oh, well, you know, she didn't play. And I remember I will love him to the ends of the earth for this. And I didn't hear it. Um, but somebody said that like to Stray, right? Like to Michael Strahan. And he goes, are you kidding me? That woman played more football than a lot of guys in the league today. And I would have loved to play for her. And so a lot of the guys really saw that pushback and they were like, oh no. And they would champion me in a way that I could never have said it because it wouldn't it wouldn't be right coming from me. It had to come from them. And so they never gave me an option to not believe that they would be okay with it because they really led the way. And and Bruce Arians deserves all the credit in the world for setting that standard. And he did something really smart, which ensured my success before I walked in the door. And I didn't know this until I got to talk to him when I was writing my book. He actually, when he, after he met me and believed that I could do it, he went to the leaders of his locker room, the players. And I still don't know which ones he talked to, but I have my, I have my suspicions. And he told them what he was thinking of doing. And he asked them what they thought and if they would be behind it. And when they gave their blessing and buy-in, then he marched it up the food chain. But he really did the due diligence in getting their buy-in before the decision was made. And I think that that is a huge testament to why he's so successful and to all the men there because, you know, they made that decision and I thankfully didn't screw it up. Yeah, high praise to Bruce Arians for for that and other moves. I'm sure you were pumped to see him win the Super Bowl. But you know, being an outside the box thinker doesn't mean you're reckless. And the fact that he did due diligence and, and paid the way for you is cool. If you had been a disaster, if you hadn't been accepted, if you'd flopped, if you'd sucked at the job, there wouldn't have been these other women. Now it's there are there are women in NFL coaching, and and right. that's got to make you feel pretty cool. I mean, it, they they're not the trailblazers. Not get hit in the face maybe the same way as you were with the branches, but it's still got to be really, really difficult and challenging for all of them, but it's got to make you feel pretty good that now there are opportunities because you didn't screw it up when you had the chance in Arizona. <laughs> right. What I can say is I didn't screw it up and I didn't close the door. So we opened it and I also did not close it. Right. And that's, that's the beauty of it. Now, can I take credit for that part? Yes. But all of those women have, have had their own journeys to the game and they've done the work and um, you know, some of them I know, some of them I don't, but it always is like when I see it or hear about it, it's like, all right, right? Like it's progress. It's, you know, and it's powerful and, and I love to see it. And I love to, you know, think of that, that one day people will look back and they'll be like, I can't believe that they're, you know, that it took that long or that, you know, there were firsts at this time. Like what a, what a cool thing to be a part of. You know, I think. We share the the idea that that growth only comes outside of the comfort zone, that experience equals growth, but the the power of the experience, the uncomfortableness of that equals the, the greater potential for growth. I, I bet you spent a whole lot of uncomfortable hours 
in your life in various things and, and, and grown from it. But how does that continue to sort of inform the choices that you make? And because you've had success and you are ex- accepted in a lot of different fields now, but, but how do you continue to put yourself in uncomfortable positions so you make sure you're still, you're still growing and progressing? I don't think I've ever had a choice to not because when you're leading from the front, nobody knows what to do with you, right? Like nobody does. Like there wasn't a, um, okay, Jen, so now you've done this and, you know, here's a team of people that are going to help you progress to the next level. There's this continuity of progression in life or, you know, champions or, you know, those things there wasn't. And so everything that I've done and continue to do is figuring it out. Um, And thankfully I like puzzles, right? Like life is a series of puzzles and, you know, sometimes you solve the puzzle and you go, I don't even realize that that was the picture and I'm I'm not really in on that puzzle. And that just um, helps you in some part of the process to move on to the next thing. But like, I, I don't think I've ever had the opportunity to just say, okay, this is it, right? Like I'm comfortable here and I'm just going to stay because uh, there's always more work to do, right? Like whether it was with Gridiron Girls and that girls weren't getting an opportunity to play or, you know, um, making sure that somebody was um, speaking the truth of needing more women, right? Like I know when, you know, like Brad Childress hired me into the Alliance of American Football. Um, and I had met Chile on my first game with Arizona. Um, and we stayed in touch. And he's just such a cool guy. And as soon as he took a head coaching job, he was like, Jen, I want you on my staff. Like, that was no question. Um, he made that move. And he loved that I had a PhD. So we used to talk about things that I didn't even realize. Like, he wasn't talking to other coaches like that. Like, we would talk for an extended amount of time, right? But he loved the PhD fact and he knew that it added value. And yet in that situation, I have a job, I'm good. Um, I had had a really uncomfortable conversation and interview where um, it was insulting. And it was, I, I remember thinking like, I thought I was past this. Like I've done this before why am I still being downgraded? Like I, like I'm a charity case in football. And I remember flying to San Francisco specifically to sit down with Charlie Ebersol, who was the founder of the Alliance league, who I had known for years. And I told him, I said, no woman deserves this. No one should be talked to the way I was. It's unacceptable. And I refuse to check your girl box. So if you thought that your league was just going to be good and saying we did the work, we have a girl on this staff, like I'm not doing that. And you need to make sure that there are other women getting the opportunity. If you want to say that this league is different and it's going to be different from day one, then you need to find some other women and give them opportunities. And I don't think, I'm sure people don't know like what a risk that was. He could have said, well, we don't need you. Like Mm -hmm. deuces. It's not like I was a head coach and was in a hiring position, but I was just, I was like this, if if it's a new league and it's going to be different, it has to be really different. And the conversation I just had was no different. And in fact, it treated me with less respect than I got treated with, with the Cardinals. And so, um, it ended up that that conversation led to, you know, the Alliance League 
um, hiring Jennifer King and Lo Locus. Um, and those are two women I, I don't know. Like, I mean, we might've met for a handshake, but it wasn't about you have to hire my people in this. It was just like, it, this is so important. And so I challenge myself all the time with a phrase, like if I'm not strong enough, good enough, or um, brave enough to do that, then the wrong woman was the first female to coach in the NFL. Somebody else should have done it because if somebody else could do it better, then she should be that person. And that is a is my motivation on a lot of things that I'm like. <laughs> You're pointing at yourself and shaking your head. I, I wanted right. to ask you. I mean, you, I, I thought you got. I thought you had videos. So no, like, I do, no, but no, it, it's no, an no. audio product, so I'm gonna right. I'm gonna narrate. No, I, you, your your doctorate in psychology. You, you get a doctorate to use it to help other people. I mean, that's the point. Um, masters in sports psychology. How have those those skills, those degrees, come into play when you turn it inward on yourself? When you had to sort of navigate the tough times? I mean, I, I, there have to have been. Well, I'm, I don't want to say tearful because I'm, I'm not making a gender comment, but difficult. No, they're I mean, tearful. I mean, you had your your heart ripped out, and you and you've had, you know, your dreams spit back at you. I mean, I, I assume some of that still happens since you've become a doctor. How do you use those skills, and how, how have those helped you? Some days they're the best thing in the world, and other times I wish I didn't know. <laughs> right. Because I can diagnose myself on the couch. I'm like, all right, well, you just got to go. And I'm like, but I want to go right now. Right. Like I'll push back against myself. Oh, you can um, be too trained for your own good when it comes to helping yourself. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because it's almost like more pressure. Like you feel like you shouldn't have the same feelings. Right. Like, mm -hmm. but just because you're equipped for them doesn't mean you're immune to them. Right. Like disappointment rips everybody's heart out, even if you're well-trained to deal with disappointment, right? You see some of the best of the best of the best that just don't have it one day, right? Like I've been fired on Twitter. Like that's, that's pretty impressive. Like not many people get to get fired on Twitter and we got fired on Twitter as an entire league. You know, I also found out my time in Arizona wouldn't extend on Twitter. So I should hate Twitter a lot at this point, um, you know, because I've gotten some really um, soul crushing moments yeah. via social media, right? Where like, and I'm a really person to person person. Like I think that news like that should be like a hug and a handshake and tears out of sight. And yet I've had, you know, had to, um, I say, put my war paint on to face the world, which is, uh, depending on the day, a combination of makeup and or really dark sunglasses, if I know the tears might come. Um, and also, ladies, like, true story, really important trick. If you need to put on the dark sunglasses to face the world, make sure you do it with a pop of color on your lip. Like, wear bright red lipstick to tell them to kiss your whatever on the way out because when you put the lipstick on everyone will imagine that your face is flawless beyond the sunglasses when you don't have the lipstick on they think you might be hungover so 
definitely put on your lipstick. But I thought I have, we cover a lot of stuff. I wasn't sure makeup tips were going to come into play here. That's, Jim, but. that's really the only one I've got. Um, <laughs> but it is it is one of my cheat codes. So if you see me with um, dark sunglasses and a pop of color, it probably means I'm having a really tough day. Um, but like, I know everybody's going to imagine that I'm like movie star flawless. So it kind of gives you a little like, Oh yeah, I'm having a really bad day, but I don't look like it. So at least there's that, right? Something tells me you um, bounce back from pretty bad days pretty quickly though. You, you seem like, uh, you'd have to build up an extraordinary amount of resilience and, and self-belief and confidence. I, I know those things don't make you immune from being hurt. I understand that, but they do Chris, help you regroup quicker. If we watched the low lights reel of my life, it would be pretty damn low. And, and that's and that's because when you go to the pinnacle, right? Like disappointment becomes that much more extreme. And it happens that much more frequently though. So you have to get over it, right? Like, and there is a there is a success hangover that just sucks. And you hear Olympians talk about it a lot of the times, mm-hmm. right? Like Oh, you you won a gold medal. Okay, so what's next? And you're like, can I breathe for a minute? Like, I don't know. Is that okay? But there's this expectation of excellence as a a continuous process that you are always going to crush it in everything on every day along the way. And there really are peaks and valleys that become that much more extreme. And success is met with relief, right? People who are highly successful and have achieved so much and consistently are at that level, they're not always joyful about their achievement. It comes with relief because they expected it. And then anything less than that, it's devastation, right? So you're not, you're not, you're experiencing, eh, not really the highs, but you're, you're experiencing the lows. And that's, that's a tough way. I've seen so many coaches, I'm sure you have to go through that. And you're like, you want to shake them and say, God, can you, can you just celebrate the W's, right? And I think maybe some younger coaches learning to do that, but, but we've seen so many people struggle with that. And that, 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 that's the best you can hope for, satisfaction. <laughs> right. And I mean, think about it. Like, think about Nick Saban right now, right? Like, who I don't well, he know. He was an example like, I had in mind, by the way, when we were talking about this. <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's hilarious, right? But, like, the pressure has to be every year to be that guy. Yeah. Right. He, I mean, him not winning a national championship is a terrible, earth shattering, life altering year. I mean, it's it, anything but that is yeah. like subpar. Right. Like I listened to him last night and, you know, I don't know if you watched it, but like um, with Peyton and Eli and, um, you know, they were asking him, like, does he ever get to watch his guys play? And he was like, well, no, you know, like, I'm actually taking a break from tape right now and talking to you guys. But I do have, and I forget who it was, like, he has somebody um, who puts a brief together for him. All the Alabama guys in the NFL, right? Yeah, yeah. All the guys. It was like 73 guys or something in the NFL so he can get a rough accounting for how they did. And I was like, wow, right? Like you don't even get to just flip on the channel and be like, man, my, my guy who I built all of this into, right. And, and saw him go from here to here is now crushing it. Like I gotta, I gotta get a brief to know how someone whose life I changed 
is now doing. Now I can well, only he's, because every minute that he takes his eye off the ball, he believes is compromising the chance to continue that. I, it's it's not totally unique, but he, he's at the extreme end of all that. And we've talked right. about that. Nick Nick will celebrate a championship about fifteen minutes, and that's it. And that's so, you know, 11 months of work, 11 and a half months of work goes into that 15, 15 minutes later, minutes. boom, it's on to the next year. I, I get that you're, you're working with, with young girls. You mentioned gridiron girls as a bunch of R's in there. People should check that out. How many R's actually are there? The girl? Like we put the gur in gridiron because there was, I, it didn't make sense to me. Like, er, like and why? I think people would, would, okay, that's cool. I mean, it, it's opening opportunities. Um, I'm not saying the playing field is or will ever be level between male and female sports, but the opportunities are certainly there in so many different sports. And um, I cover tennis, which is the most lucrative sport professionally for women. Women's soccer is globally exploding and massively popular in this country. So are other team sports. And folks would say, why football, Jen? I mean, why football? Girls have so many opportunities. I mean, there are parents that are very reluctant to have their sons who are 6'2", 220, play tackle football why why girls in football well first of all um <coughs> gridiron girls uh we we focus on flag right so there's not a tackle element but um that doesn't mean there couldn't be but just for me i say it's confidence through football and teaching the girls that there's no game they cannot play and no field they do not belong in or on. And what better place to teach them than the sport that has traditionally been referred to as the final frontier for women in sports? Because for me, that was a as a like a battle cry almost that I kept with me. Like, if this is the final frontier. If this is the place we're not supposed to go, if this is the sport we're never supposed to play, when we do this, when we do it the right way, when we tackle this game, can't we shift culture? And we've seen culture shift through sports traditionally, whether it be racial integration or, I mean, think about what rugby did for the world, particularly in South Africa, or what basketball did, or what Jackie Robinson did for baseball. Like, we've seen sport transform culture. And when it comes to gender equity, this is the only sport that doesn't have parity on any level. And so, where, how can we possibly say we're equal when America's game has yet to make room for half of America? It's just not right. And so I remember being the girl who at Thanksgiving faced a dichotomy of the men are in the living room watching football and the women are in the kitchen cooking. And I like, this is like a conscious choice. Now, obviously, spoiler alert, on which direction I went, it was not to the kitchen. It was absolutely to the football. <laughs> and so when people actually, you know, say that, like, can't I do anything? I kind of laugh and I say, except cook. There's a real thing there. It's I think it's still from that decision. I made this choice and went this way. Um, but why? do we have on the sport that has become a fixture of Thanksgiving, a sport that has taken over Sundays still yet to say, this is America's game. It's the best game in the world. 
diversity at its core, all of these things. And it's all of these things for men and not women. I, I don't buy into that. And so I know that when I work with these girls and I take that one place that has been never for them, and I say, you know what? There's nothing you can't do with great coaching. You belong here. If you want to be here, it's not going to be easy. But if you work hard, you certainly can find a place here. And whether or not she chooses football after that, I'm okay with that. But I'm not okay with her not getting to choose it. And that is the thing that other people shouldn't have the opportunity to take away. You don't get to make that decision for her. She gets to make it on her own and she gets access to coaching and opportunity and the ability to make a choice. And I think that's what any of us wants. I get to find what my field of dream is. And guess what? It's different than yours. And that's great because otherwise it's a really field of dream, really crowded field of dreams. Right. But we get the opportunity to try and to try in a way we're going to be supported. And I think that that's why it's vitally important. And it, it doesn't have to change their life for football, but I know I can change their lives through football. What's the coolest thing, Jen? I'm sure it happens all the time that you've heard either one of the girls who's gone through the football program or their parents say about what they took away from it and how they completely changed their view of the world of what was possible for them based on playing in an organized flag football league. You know... Uh, there are so many and I love these girls and we stay in contact and, you know, I try and be as <clears throat> present for them and approachable as possible. One of the most important things in my life. Um, but I'll use, I'll give you two examples of girls that are very different on the ends of the spectrum. Um, we just saw the new NFL commercial and the girls in the, Pink and black camo outfits are the apex predators out of Vegas. And at front, you have a girl with very long blonde braids, and her name is Kilolo. And Kilolo is one of my girls, right? She's been out to my camps. I go and watch her team play all the time. She calls me auntie, right? Mm. And she she literally said, you know, and she's from an island culture. So, like, you have a lot of aunties, and I call her my niece, Um and she literally said to me at one point, she's like, you don't have kids of your own, so I'm going to claim you. And I was like, she goes, because you made me think different. She was new to football at that time. And she was like, you made me want it more. And she's like, I see you. And I'm like, man, like she's like kind of the the auntie or the mom of this for us. And she was like, I hope you know what a compliment that is. And I'm like, uh, yeah, like, you know, wow. um, and like, and, and it's interesting because people will see pictures of us and they're like, oh my gosh, you guys look so much alike. And I'm like, we are in spirit, like no doubt. Um, and then to see her in that NFL commercial, right. And she's the one with the speaking part, like, who's got my back. I've got your back. And I'm like, right. Like, cause that, that wasn't a thing before, you know, what we did in Arizona or before Gridiron Girls started four years ago, that was impossible, right? And now those doors are going to continue to open. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum and just as amazing and powerful, you have Kaylee Patterson, who is out of Massachusetts. And 
She currently plays on both 8U and 10U teams. I met her four years ago at one of my first Gridiron Girls camps. Now, I'm just going to let you do a little math here. She's eight now. I met her four years ago, and we typically say we started at six. So she's a four-year-old out there. Mm-hmm. And her mom said she was almost six. And I love her mom. We're like, we're super close. And I'm super close with Kilolo's mom and all these moms, right? Um, so, but her mom had told me about, about Kaylee. And I said, mom, are you going to be there? And she said, yeah. And I said, if she has any, any problems, I just want you to be able to look out for her, right? Because you're her mom. And if you said she's good, I'm good. I'm not going to check her birth certificate, but I do want you to be there just in case because, you know, she is going to be younger. And she was like, okay. So here she is. And I still have video. I posted some of it earlier today of this tiny little girl who was like, you know, sort of into it. And now she is probably one of the most recognizable as Kilo girls in the younger categories like she's the future of this game she plays against the boys she plays against the girls she's swaggy out there like and she's really freaking good (laughs) and she you know and she'll look at it and she's like gridiron girls for life like i'm repping the brand like she said this is where it all started and she is so proud to be like one of the gridiron girls that it like it literally like tears me up and her mom and you know we haven't gotten to see each other in a while because of COVID right and her mom messaged me at one point and she's like I don't I don't even know if you know just how much of an impact you had on my daughter and I said well I mean I mean she's awesome and she goes Jen look at her Christmas card and her Christmas card was a a remake, I will say, of a photo shoot that I did where it was like a football princess and I had like, you know, football cleats and this big frilly princess dress and like, you know, kind of absurd crown turned upside down. And she recreated it and it was on her Christmas card. And her mom said, my daughter, like she idolizes you and not in a not in a far way she's like that's like family and she said you know she's so proud and she has like um you know she's read my book and she's eight and this is an adult book right (laughs) like I can't even imagine like what she had to struggle through but she would carry it with her every day and she has gloves that I gave her and they're like in this shrine where she has all these rings and trophies for doing it and like I look at that and I think about how many girls hopefully will have permission to dream bigger than I ever did in this world. And every girl who says something like that to me fortifies me for a world that doesn't yet know what to do with me or them. And it makes me willing to cry off my war paint, reapply and go out there and face the world because they deserve that person. And I may not be brave, brave enough, but for them, like I will get that grown mom strength and I will lift a car off somebody. So 
that's a tremendous legacy to have. All these girls kind of go out in the world and and um, believing all things are possible. Jen also broke through barriers and shifted the conversation in the massive world of gaming. Minecraft featured her as Coach Jen in a series on strong women. How she landed in the Madden 20 game is a great story. At first, she was cast as a sideline reporter. A different producer, actually, from a different element of the game, uh, from superstar KO mode, reaches out to me. And she's like, hey, there's something we want to talk to you about, you know, the upcoming release of Madden 20. Um, You know, can we hop on a call? And I was like, sure. And she was the one who said, you know, we want to make you the first female head coach in Madden. Like we're doing this new superstar KO mode where we have some different legends and personalities um, that are that are going to be coaches. And we we just think it would be really cool for for you to do that. So I'm kind of like, where is Waldo in Madden 20 and 21? Um, and, you know, it was really fun to me. And thankfully, because I was the reporter in story mode, it was possible because they'd already captured all the like face data and stuff that you would need to create a character. Though really funny facts that like my players definitely pointed this out to me. When you look in story mode in Madden, and you'll have to see this, I could send you a clip, you'll die. Um, There's something that doesn't quite fit. And this has to do with my five foot two frame and why some people think that I must be much taller than I am (laughs) is that, you know, we never filmed the stuff for me to coach in Madden. We had only done the reporter stuff. So when you see me as the coach in Madden, I'm really freaking tall because I'm the same height as all my players. Or, or your team is really short. You've got you've got or the my first team, is really team of five foot two players in Madden. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so all of my players were like, yo, coach, your team is either the mighty midgets or you are really tall. Because basically, like for those of you who don't know, they took my my face and stretched it over someone else's face um within the story mode in Madden but it's pretty cool it's pretty cool it was a lot of really cool people seeing you know where we could shift culture through um you know the virtual space and I think we need more people who are in those spaces places and conversations to be able to be like wait what what about this or how cool would this be right like I still remember Mortal Kombat and what it meant to have like Katana, like I'm playing with her, right? Like, I don't care about you dudes. Like I'm gonna kick your butt with her. And that's an important place, space and conversation. And we need more of those in, you know, in storytelling, in highlighting in all of the things that we do so we can continue to change the conversation and increase representation in all places and spaces. The conversation is changing. The opportunities are there. But sort of the obstacles, what would you say to someone, could be male or female, who was in your position, who's been told, no, your dreams are too big, they're not realistic, the obstacles are too tall, and they need to find within themselves you know, the belief and the confidence to kind of go forward and, and not take no for an answer and not accept limitations? What's your, what's your sort of manifesto to them? The people who tell you what's not possible, they're not 
they're not actually trying to be malicious or trying to cause you pain or to shrink the size of your world. Most of them are speaking through the scar tissue of their heart, through the pain and the loss and the disappointment of dreams not realized, of things that didn't happen, of heartbreak that they have yet to really completely recover from. And when they say what's not possible, they're speaking about what wasn't possible for them. And a lot of the times they're speaking in a way that they think that they're going to spare you from pain, right? They're going to protect you. But, you know, a net of protection can also be, you know, flipped over and can be the same thing that's holding you back. And right. so people who mean well can be the hardest to overcome, right? Because, you know, they, they care about you, but that makes it tougher to break to through what they're saying. Yeah, that's right. And so I lovingly think of, um, the saying, like, it's, it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved it at all. Right. Like, when you when you love someone or something or you're passionate and you go all in for it, it absolutely has the ability to break your heart because you fell in love. But would you rather just live your life with the mediocrity of never getting to love and never getting to go for it or to truly pursue your dreams? Because what? Because it might spare you from having your heart broken, but it also might keep you from doing things that are wildly wonderful. And so uh, a really wise person like Carolyn Miller once said, there's really only one right answer when somebody tells you about a big dream. And that's, tell me more. Why don't we hear about this? How can we make this this possible? Because those early moments of a big dream are the most tender, right? You need somebody who's going to help you explore it. So for anybody listening, like if you're that person who hears somebody's young, tender, fledgling dream, think about it as like a little baby bird in the nest. You saying no is flinging the egg out of the nest before it even had chance to grow wings. You saying, tell me more is just feeding them and allowing them to maybe grow up and grow into that dream. Because a lot of the times we'll realize that something we thought was a great idea maybe wasn't, but allow them to explore it. Don't you shut it down before it even had a chance to take flight. Can there be a more important message than that? Have big dreams. Encourage others to pursue limitless lives. I'm grateful for Dr. Jen's time. You can check out her book, which is called Play Big. Her website's loaded with info. It's jenwelter.com. On Twitter, she's at jwelter47. On Instagram, at welter47. As always, thanks to co-executive producer Jennifer Dempster and to Jason Weichel for his editing skills. We appreciate it if you subscribe and leave feedback at chrisfowler.com. I'll talk to you soon.